You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Uh, what a great ministry Hope House is. If you guys don't know about it, uh, talk to Victoria. That's Victoria Hines, and, and she is here every Sunday, and she'd love to tell you more about this ministry. And to all you moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Uh, to anyone that didn't know today's Mother's Day, I have some, some uh, cards that I came across this week. All right, and so you can send these out to your mom, and she will be greatly appreciated. Uh, this says, great job, Mom. I turned out awesome. All right, so some of you might want to go with that. Um, you could also say, Mom, I love how we don't need to say out loud that I'm your favorite. All right, so you can send that. This one's a little harder to read. Uh, it says, I'm the reason you pee a little every time you laugh. Happy Mother's Day. All right, so that one's deep. And then this is the one that I'll probably have to send my mom. Sorry I make you question your mothering skills on a daily basis. All right. And that's probably where, where our family lies. Uh, so uh, today is Mother's Day. It's a great day. This is actually an awesome week. Um, uh, just a quick plug. Uh, Aaron had mentioned it, but we have the marriage simulcast this coming Saturday. And so I want to encourage you, if you are married, if you're looking to get married, if one day you think that'd be nice, um, come to this simulcast. It is going to be awesome. This is not something that we are putting together. This is something we're just hosting. We're one of the site locations. There's tons across the nation. Um, it is Francis and Lisa Chan. Uh, if you guys don't know them, great speaker and author. Um, Lee and Leslie Parrott are experts on marriage. I, I wonder if they ever fight, but um, they are uh, experts on marriage. There's a comedian, Michael Jr., um, also, we got dinner included and childcare if you have kids. So, at the very least, sign up, come for the beginning, be like, we're going to bail. We got childcare, and then go on another date. That will work also. But um, it is going to be awesome. And so, you can sign up for this on, on our church website. It's $15 a person or $30 a couple, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So Sarah and I are attending. Um, I've told my, my parents about this, and they think that our marriage must be falling apart because that's the only reason you'd go to anything marriage-related is what they figure, and, and it's worked for them for 50 years. But for us, like we go to every marriage thing possible to keep it healthy. And so Sarah and I are attending, and we would love for you guys to be there with us. And so um, it's going to be a, a great—it's just an awesome week, right? And so as we are going— um, looking this week, it's Mother's Day, and we were looking at our text, and we're working through the book of Acts. If you've been following along, we made it to Acts 12. Uh, for those of you that peeked ahead, you know today brings the death of five people, and, and it, it's pretty depressing, right? And so, yay, happy Mother's Day. Five people are going to die. And so um, it doesn't seem like a text that you would normally do on Mother's Day. And we thought about veering off for this one week. But also, in the midst of, of these, these deaths, it's an amazing story of God's power. Amazing story of God's providence. Amazing story of God interweaving himself in the lives of Peter, in the lives of these believers. An amazing story of prayer. There's nothing that I can think more meaningful than prayer when it comes to mothers. The mothers that are praying, for those of us to be praying for mothers... For your mother, for mothers in your neighborhood, at work, for, for your wife, if she's a mother, whatever that might be, to be praying. And so this passage, if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts 12, and we're going we're gonna to jump into it. 
um, up to this point, the church has experienced some great opposition, all right? They've experienced opposition from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've experienced opposition, um, even the form of death, as we saw Stephen is stoned and he's taken out. We've seen uh, this opposition come in the form of within the church. We saw um, within the church, people are lying and, and Satan has attacked from within. But now we're going to see Satan's attack from the government level. We're now going to see Herod, King Herod, is attacking. And Herod, to have a little background, the, the Herod, Herod is a title, and the Herodians were a whole series uh, of people that were fighting against God's plan. And it goes back to great-grandpa Herod, right? Uh, King Herod the first, uh, Herod the Great, was the one who heard about Jesus' birth. You know that story in the, in the Gospels, heard about Jesus' birth, wanted to wipe out this possible king, so he killed all the babies in Bethlehem. All right, then fast forward to Herodias, who was um, the, the cousin of this, of this one that we're about to meet, and she requested the head of John the Baptist, and so her dad had the head cut off. We got um, Herod, this, the Herod we're about to look into. His uncle was Herod Antiochus, who was involved in Jesus' trial, and he loses favor with Rome. They banish him away, and they place in his place Herod Agrippa I. And this is the Herod we're talking about. So he is in this long line of people that have been opposing God's plan. And so here he steps in, trying to find favor with the Jews. Herod Agrippa I is a quarter Jewish, and so he relates to that. But most importantly, not because he's a quarter Jewish, but because he wants the power. And so he's ruling over this nation and these people that are Jewish. And so he sees that this genetic relationship, this quarter Jew, will make him connected to them. And he sees this idea that if he is connected with the people, they won't overthrow him and he'll reign in power. His desire is to get the, the reign of Herod the Great, his grandfather, the amount of land, the amount of power that he had back to the Herod family. And so in doing so, he's trying to find favor with the Jews. And so in order to find favor with the Jews, your enemy is my enemy. And so the Christians are, <clears throat> are causing trouble with the Jews. And so Herod starts causing trouble with the Christians. So this is where our passage picks up. Chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intended to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Just to simply gain favor with the Jews, he has James killed. Jesus had predicted this back in Mark chapter 10. Jesus had said that, that if you, do you want to experience, you, can't, you will have to drink of the same cup that I drink of. That he talks about that if you want the same to be in the kingdom with me, you're going to have to have the same suffering. And so Jesus even predicted this in 10, but it finally comes to fruition that James is beheaded with a sword. And this is a hard way to start this passage. And I think Luke puts it in here. It's just a fleeting sentence, but it's in here for a reason. Because we're about to see this an amazing story of Peter being freed from, the, from jail, of an angel coming down, breaking Peter free, and setting, letting him go. But James was killed. And this is reality. This is what Luke presents to us. This is what many of you, myself included, have struggled with. God, it doesn't make sense. Why did James have to die and Peter got to live? Or maybe it's more personal, why does that diagnosis have to happen? Why did this loved one die? Why did that relationship break apart? 
and I see others flourish. How do you balance James and Peter? And Luke just puts it out there to present it. Luke usually ties up a lot of loose ends for us, but this one, he doesn't. It's almost as if this one, he just wants us to know so we can deal with this ourselves. Because it's true, I think it's a question a lot of us ask. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do honest businesses have to close their doors? Why does that diagnosis happen to that person? And the same thing happens. Why James and why Peter? And so I'll be honest with you. This week, I've really struggled with this. I got stories in my life that I can't explain. I can't understand why that young man passed away a good friend of mine. I don't get it. That was five years ago. I still struggle. Why? I still struggle with my James. But in the midst of that, Luke presents that to us because that's life. Because we live in a fallen world, a world full of sin and death and heartbreak. But then Luke also shares with us the story of Peter. The story of God's Grace, the story of God's power, an amazing story that we're about to see displayed. And so I want to encourage you that if we're in the midst of worried about our James, that's very real. But don't miss the story of Peter. Don't miss the amazing power and magnitude of what God did in the story of Peter that we're about to dive into. And so continue with me. We get to verse 3. When he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter, talking about Herod Agrippa I. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. He, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. His timing is off, and he knows that this is the time when, when all the Jews are celebrating, and so he doesn't want to put Peter to death right now because they're distracted, and he wants to be able to get their full attention, to get their full favor. But it's also perfect timing that once the festival is over, the city will still be full of all the Jews. He'll put Peter to death, this leader of this Christian, this Christian group, and it'll be able, everyone will see Herod's power. Everyone will see Herod's on their side. And so he puts him in jail and puts to wait until Passover's over, and he puts him in jail, and he puts four squads of soldiers on him. Normally you would have one squad of four, and they would take shifts watching a soldier but he's heard about Peter. He's heard about Peter's escape in the past. We saw that in Acts 5 when Peter and John escaped from prison. And so he wants to make sure this doesn't happen again. And so instead of four soldiers, he puts 16 soldiers on him. He's making sure that Peter does not escape this time. He's making sure that he elicits all the favor of the Jews when he puts Peter to death. Verse 5 continues. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Another version says they were fervently praying. They were passionately praying. The church is presenting their request to God. The same church that is probably still struggling and mourning over the loss of James. The same church that could easily say, well, God wasn't involved in James. Where's he, he going to be now? Has instead turned to God and presented Peter to the Lord has presented what's going on, has presented this request to the Lord, and they're passionately, fervently praying to the Lord. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So there he is. He's chained to these, prisoner, to these guards. 
and he's asleep. The night before, he's going to be put to death. He's find, found peace. Perhaps he's found peace because he knows of his future. Jesus had predicted that he would grow old. Jesus predicted that he would die on a cross. So maybe he knows that something's going to happen. He doesn't know what, but somehow God's going to inter interweave here. So he's asleep. And the story continues. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. It's a nice way to wake him up, right? Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. I love this part, especially on Mother's Day. I don't know how many moms have had to say, come on, put on your, put on your shoes. Don't forget your coat. All right, we're headed out, Peter. And so, and so he, he helps him. And, and I love this because the angel could have wrapped him in a coat. The angel could have put his shoes on him. But instead, the angel released the chains. Instead, the angel breaks him out of prison. God makes sure that God does extraordinary things. But all along... He allows us to do the ordinary things working with him. And I got to think that from that moment on, from that night on, every time Peter bends over to put on his sandal, he remembers that night. And he's reminded of God's strength and God's providence as he puts on the shoe. So Peter, continuing on, verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Uh, Mark, uh, Luke makes his story seem so simple. But imagine, here's Peter. He's, in, he's got guards all around him. Two of them are awake, chained to him. Somehow the angel comes, blinds them, keeps them from hearing, breaks free the, sh the shackles. Tells Peter, get up, get dressed, and then they go. And they pass one guard station where the guards are standing there, and somehow they can walk by as if the guards can see nothing. And they walk by another guard station where the guards would be there instantly to kill him if they were to see him trying to escape, and they get by that. And then they get to this iron gate, and this isn't like the automatic door at Walmart that just opens when you get close. This is a gate that's designed to keep people in. It's a heavy iron gate. And Luke points out, it just opened by itself. Nobody had to push it. No one had to t pull it. No one tied a rope to it. They just approach it, and it opens by itself. And he walks out, and he heads down the street, and suddenly the angel leaves him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. He says that because now he's, he's all alone in the middle of the streets, like... What do I do now? I don't, I don't know. And so he says, suddenly, I know that this was real. And from everything that Jewish people were hoping would happen. And now he realizes he's a marked man. When word gets out that siren's going to blare, the bells are going to ring that a prisoner has escaped, and people are going to be looking. Soldiers are going to be lining these streets, and he's got to do something quick. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is the mother of John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. We're actually going to see John Mark go on a missionary journey later on in this book of Acts. This is the place that many people believe the Last Supper was, that it was a gathering place in the upper room of Mary's house, that it was a large house. It was a house that uh, over 100 believers have gathered at one point in Acts. This is a large house, and this is where a central place that they know to go. 
that when they're in this time of despair, when they're worried, when they don't know what to do, when they want to pray for Peter and present the request of Peter to God, they come together and they're meeting in this place. And Peter knows if if there's anywhere that the believers are going to be, it's at Mary's place. And so they go and they pray. And Peter arrives in the middle of the night. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And just like any phone call at 3 a.m., this isn't going to be a good thing, right? And so she goes tentative. She's scared because this could be robbers, this could be a trick. This could be the government coming because they know that these Christians are gathering. And they send out the servant girl, and they find out what's going on out there. And she goes, and she hollers over the gate, who is it? And when she recognized Peter's voice... She was so overjoyed and ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I love this. She just leaves Peter there, right? She goes back to this room full of people praying that Peter would be saved. This room full of people wanting the best for Peter. This room full of people that are hoping that God will intervene. And he has. And so God has got Peter out of a prison. And yet... We can't get Peter into a prayer meeting, right? And so this doesn't make sense. And so here's Peter stuck outside. And they all exclaim, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. And I kind of like this part too. Because they're praying for Peter and his life. They're praying for Peter to make it. And yet, their first inclination, their first assumption is it must be his angel. I think this kind of describes each of us, right? That at moments our faith is so strong and then it can dip so quickly and then so strong and dip so quickly. And so here they are, they're praying for him and then they start to question maybe he's dead already. And then they're going to go back to praying for him. And I think I love this part because they seem normal, like you and me. And so maybe they they wonder that it's an angel because, because they can't imagine that he would be outside the gate. Because like us, they probably had answers to their prayer before they presented it to God. God, please make this trial work out that Peter will be set free. God, please have something happen to King King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa, that that he doesn't make 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 Peter arrested anymore, that he doesn't have him executed. That they had a plan for how Peter would be set free. It didn't include being set free from a prison break at three in the morning. And I think this is the same with a lot of us, that we come to God with a prayer, but with our own plan, with our own desire. uh, Two years ago, I'll tell you a neat little story here, a discovery that some of you know about, but uh, two years ago, it was discovered that we had rollback taxes due on this property. God gave us this amazing land, 80 acres, and it turns out that there's $100,000 of taxes before we purchased the land that was still due to the city and county. And so you have this $100,000 debt that we find out that we, we owe now. And so we were wondering, how can this be? And so we were trying to figure it out. And, and you look back at the purchase, and, and we were trying to pray. And we met this at the operations team and with the elders and with anyone that would listen and just be like, pray for this. We don't know how. And so we don't know how we're going to cover this debt. We don't know. Like, this wasn't even our fault. And, and so we're trying to figure this out. And so I remember praying that the title company would have to, to, have to 
pay this, that it would be found that it was their fault and that they would pay up and, and that they would pay for it. I remember praying that the real estate company would figure out that somehow it was their fault and they would have to pay. I remember praying or, or thinking about praying that someone wealthy would die and leave us a lot of money, right? And then I was like, okay, that's not a good prayer. And then, and so then I started praying that someone wealthy would die of someone that we know and then they would in, donate you guys the money and you guys would then give some of us and then still that wasn't right. And so then I prayed that we would win that lottery. There was that big lottery not too long ago. Someone in here would win that and we'd get $100,000 paid off. All these prayers, like all these answers of how we were going to pay this off were running through my mind. And then a few months ago, last November, I got a call from Stephanie Stewart. Who was work? She goes here, and she's she was working on this project, and she said, "I got great news. The county assessor looked at this situation again, and for some reason, they realized this was a mistake." And I don't know why it was a mistake. I don't know if it was a mistake from the beginning. I don't know if God intervened and changed paperwork, and it became a mistake. But God took care of it. I never once prayed, "Lord, let this be a mistake." I had a whole lot of other answers the way God could take care of this, but I never had that it would just be a mistake. And so the county assessor saw that it was a, a mistake and talked to his supervisor, and, and they ended up clearing the debt. And no one ever had to pay the $100,000 owed on this land. God had his own way. And that's what I learned from that experience was I had all these plans in my prayers, but my prayers simply needed to be, God, take care of it. I didn't need to figure out the answer for him. He had his own answer. And so these people have been praying for Peter, and they probably have different plans on how Peter can get out of custody. Instead, God had his own plan of sending this angel in the middle of the night to break him from prison. And so they leave him out there because no one believes that this could be the, could be the truth. No one believes. No one's putting this in God's hands. They're all trying to control it still, even in their prayers. Verse 16 continues, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. This is a different James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is James who would soon be the leader of the Jerusalem church. And many people believe that Peter's comment to, to tell James and the other brothers and sisters was this is him kind of passing off the baton. Because now Peter's a wanted man. Because now Peter's not going to be able to walk the streets as freely. Peter's not going to be able to speak as freely. Peter's not going to be able to lead this church. And so he's passing the baton onto James to lead this church. And then he goes off to another place. We never know where that other place is. I don't know if Luke knew. And he's just keeping it a secret because he never give out the good hiding spots. I don't know. But he just goes off to another place. And then the story concludes. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. If a prisoner escaped, the guards were held to the same penalty that the prisoner was to have. And in this case, it was a capital punishment. So the guards are executed because Peter has escaped. What an amazing story. And like I said, this week I've wrestled with the James and Peter part. But until recently, until just before this service, I was in the back praying like I do every week. And God just hit me. Don't miss Peter. 
Stop wrestling with James and Peter and don't miss the miracle of Peter. Don't miss the amazing part that just happened. The, the amazing power of prayer. Don't miss what prayer can do. There, there was a, a Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. And I love that. And so we're going to end kind of doing something different. We, we've been talking about prayer a lot throughout the book of Acts, and, and we see this time, and again, the believers came together and they prayed, and there is so much power in prayer. We see that in this book. And a couple months ago, we, we got together in little triangles and prayed. And, and if you were here, don't worry, we're not going to do that again, all right? Some people are like, oh, I didn't like that part. We had to talk to strangers, and I get that, all right? But this time, you're just going to talk to God. We're going to have a special time. If you guys can pull out your phone. If you have your phone with you, pull out your phone. If you left it in the car, well done. Good job for you this week. Unfortunately, this week, we actually need it. So uh, pull out your phone. And I want you to hold that in your hand. And then we're going to take a minute of prayer. The people were praying for Peter. That's who God had put on their heart. And they were presenting Peter to the throne of God. And we have an opportunity right now to present someone in your life to the throne of God. Think about how powerful that is. The thought of prayer that we are going to bring to the attention of the Lord, of the creator of the universe our prayer request. And our prayer request might be for someone that needs your prayer right now. Maybe that prayer is a need because they're facing a challenge in their life, because of a health issue, because of, of a struggle, because of job, because of relationship. I don't know. Maybe that prayer is simply a praise. Thank you, God, for this person. Maybe on Mother's Day, it's simply, thank you, God, for my mom. Maybe it's praying for the mother that you know that a single mom that's trying to balance having kids and and work and everything in between. Maybe the stay-at-home mom that just needs the encouragement. You're doing great. Hang in there. Maybe that's who this prayer needs to be. Maybe this prayer needs to be for a coworker or fellow student. But I want to encourage you. We got a song, and during this next worship song, it, it intentionally starts out slow and builds. Because we're just going to pray. And then when you're done with your prayer for that person that God's laid on your heart right now, like you put on the heart of those believers, Peter. I want to encourage you to send a text to that person. Tell them, I prayed for you this morning. I don't know if you've ever got one of those messages, but it means so much. The few times that I've got one, when I think, when I find out that someone was talking to the Lord for me, someone was presenting to the creator of the universe my needs, my life, my struggles. Someone was presenting and saying, thank you for me. It meant so much to know that I was on their mind, but I was on God's mind as well. And so send a text message. It might feel cheesy. It might be weird. It might be something you don't normally do. Hey, Mom, praying for you. Hey, Joe, prayed for you this morning at church. Hey, Jackie, praying for that medical test coming up. It might feel weird. It might be a long paragraph, maybe spill out the whole prayer, maybe just a sentence. Praying for you. Take a moment and let them know. Because imagine if everyone here prayed for somebody. God hears all those prayers. God hears the requests for all those people. And imagine if all those people knew that they were presented before God this morning. 
what that might do in their life today. I'm going to open us with a quick prayer, and then we'll just have a time of silence. The band's going to begin to worship, and you just continue to pray. Send that text message and finish out this morning with what God's laid on your heart. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we come and we present this person, whoever that might be, that you've placed on our hearts. God, you place them there for a reason. I believe that reason is for us to pray for them. And God, I believe that reason is for us to encourage them. To send them a message, a quick text message, saying we're praying for you. That God's thinking about you. The creator of the world has you on his mind. God, we thank you for your love, for us, and for the person we're praying for right now.